Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Yo, yo, what's up, Collective? You don't know me. That's cool. My name's Jonathan. I'm friends with some of the original launch teams here, team members here, and also I enjoy a frequent happy hour with Michael Bartlett from time to time. So him and I are tight. Um, Michael's not here. He was here last service, but please know um, what God's doing at Collective isn't normal. Like when we hang out with other church people, he can't talk about you because it makes other people feel bad. Okay, like the fact that like there's so many people on a Labor Day weekend or that like the church is growing throughout the summer. Like he just can't share that with other people because it's like almost demoralizing to them. Like what God's doing here is just off the chain. It's nuts. It's incredible. I know he loses sleep about how to care for you guys well and lead you well. Uh, he's the man, him and Ray. We're excited to hang out with him afterwards. But uh, I, we love Collective. Uh, I'm the associate pastor at Mosaic over in Howard County. I'm here with my wife and uh, her name's Stephanie. We have our two girls with us. Uh, it took us a couple years to get pregnant. I know that's kind of like a norm for people, but it took us a long time. We were really nervous if it was going to work out. We eventually got pregnant, had a baby girl. It was great. And then six months later, God was like, surprise, and we got pregnant again. And so now we have two kids under two, so please be praying for us. All right, we'll take it. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up in Maryland. I uh, lived in, in Baltimore, like where the west side of the city, Edmondson, right on the city county line, and that's where I grew up. And then uh, in fourth grade, my family, we moved out to Howard County. And I don't know if you're familiar, but like Howard County is kind of like Howard County nowadays. Like everyone's got money and the homes are stupid expensive. But back then it wasn't quite as expensive, but it definitely was a big upgrade for my family and I. Like I didn't know we were poor till we got to Howard County. Um, I would eat bologna and cream cheese every day for lunch. And that's all I got for lunch. And I thought that was a normal lunch. And then you get to Howard County and everyone's got snack packs and Doritos and sandwiches with the crust cut off. And I was like, oh, oh, this is, okay, these kids got like money. They're doing all right. So uh, the transition, I say all this because the transition from Baltimore to Howard County didn't go well for me. Like my family, the one nice pair of shoes we could get every year was from Payless, RIP Payless. Pour one out for Payless. We're not around anymore. Anyway. But that was like my one shot to get a good pair of shoe. And remember, Payless, like they don't, they don't sell Nikes at Payless, right? But my friends and I, we would get the closest thing we could get to a knockoff and then like draw Nike swooshes on it or draw the Adidas, sh- sh- uh, you know, stripes and be like, all right, we're killing it out here. Now, going into the fourth grade, the Air Jordan 11s had just come out. These are my, this is my favorite basketball shoe that's ever been. Like, I think it's gorgeous. Jordan wore them in Space Jam. It's awesome. These are the best shoes out there. So these had just come out. So I go to Payless, and I'm like, all right, i got to get the closest-looking knockoff I can get. So I find a pair that looks just like this, kind of, and then I drew, like, the jump man on it and all that stuff. And I roll into school feeling like hot stuff, okay? Like me and my boys in Baltimore, that's all we did. But you get to Howard County, and again, the problem is all those people actually buy the real thing because they have money. So I roll up there with my DIY Air Jordans, and I got roasted for, like, the whole first week. And I went home and had to, like, scrub the Sharpie off my shoe and, like, take the white out off. It was horrifying. Another thing I tried to do to fit in with the Howard County crowd was uh, any millennial girls out there remember Nick Carter from Backstreet Boys? Nick Carter was like, oh, yeah, it's Nick. So Nick Carter once wore blue overalls with a white shirt. And I was like, you know what? Girls like that. I'm going to wear blue overalls and a white shirt. Literally, I thought this in fourth grade. So I got a white turtleneck, and I wore it with denim overalls over top. And I was feeling real good about myself. And within like five seconds, someone goes, oh, look, it's Farmer John. And the rest of the day, I got made fun of. 
And I decided I'm going to own this problem. I'm going to take my turtleneck off. I'm going to put it over top of my overall so it just looks like I'm wearing a sweater and pants. But if you're familiar with overalls, they got those buttons that stick out right here. <laughs> so I don't need to illustrate for you how that didn't go well for me the rest of the day. But I'll never forget, like, one in the midst of this tumultuous transition for me, uh, there was one time when I did something in front of the class, and maybe I, like, wrote in cursive, because that's what I was taught, and someone called me a teacher pet, and then one of the, one of the kids that everyone knew and liked said out loud, man, what a dork, and everyone laughed, and um, I, I never forget what that was like. And I bring this all up because that transition from Baltimore to Howard County in fourth grade actually set me up to struggle for like 20 years to want to be anything but a dork. And what this highlights, and this is probably true for you too, is that there are some things that happened in your life, maybe you were younger, maybe you were older, but all it takes is a single word, a single negative word to change your entire world. Like a single negative word has the power to really mess with you and send you down the spiral of maybe despair or dysfunction or just negativity. And um, for some of you, you didn't get called the word dork. You got something much worse. Like, you know, I'm kind of talking about the playfulness of what I went through, but I know some of you in this room, by your own parents, you were called a mistake at a young age. And for years, you've been trying to prove that you aren't a mistake and that you do have value and you've been pursuing all the wrong things because you think it's going to make you feel better, but at the end of the day, you still feel like a mistake. I know there's some of you that uh, have very strict parents with high expectations, so at a young age, you were told that you were a failure, and so for the next 25 years, you've tried to perform your, perform your way into validation. And you try to think that if I just succeed, then my identity will be right and I won't be the failure that my mom told me I was. And I know just based on the statistics that one of you in here... <laughs> Uh, went on a family vacation, and a family member that was supposed to be someone who protected you and cared for you actually um, exploited you and abused you. And when you look yourself in the mirror, you don't see your name, you see abused. See, what's true is a single negative word can shape your entire world. And the problem is that that happens to us at a young age, and then we live in 2019, and the voices of cynicism and negativity have never been louder. I mean, you can't watch TV or listen to anything about politics or go on social media without really feeling worse about yourself in some way. I mean, it's even to the point now where some of us don't know how to operate with people we love without being negative and sarcastic. Like, you don't know how to function in a relationship without being that sarcastic guy that just has to jab people all the time. And so our, I would argue that our state and our city and our world needs help. We need rewiring. How do we make it so that the overflow of who we are as we communicate with people actually builds others up instead of tears us down? Because you and I both know that we don't need help having negative voices in our own head. Like the negative voice in my own head does not take a day off. And it probably is true for you. But because that's the case, I want to have a conversation today about how do we be a community that builds up instead of tearing down? And how do we make it so that the overflow of who we are is actually something positive, something encouraging, something that's countercultural? And so here's the big question I want to ask with our series. If it is true that a single negative word can shape your world, what if a single positive word had the same amount of power? Like what if th those moments of negativity when you were young that sent you down this reason to validate yourself a certain way or maybe even shaped your worldview, is it possible that positive words have the same power as the negative ones? I just want to explore that conversation today. And, and as we do, listen, if you are not a church person and you don't know how you got into collective today, like someone dragged you or promised you bottomless mimosas after, I don't know. But no matter who you are, 
our conversation today is going to be beneficial for you if you want to learn how to um, better your relationships with your family, with your friends, with your kids, maybe with your significant other. I don't know what that is. But listen, even if you're not a church person, this conversation is going to help you today. But the power behind it is not my opinion. It's not the vibe of this place. It's the fact that we're looking at what God says about who we are, how we interact with other people. And I believe in the process of experiencing God on a practical level, practical level in our relationships, you're going to be more likely to maybe experience him on a spiritual level. But we all live in a world that tears us down. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How do we become people that are counter to culture when it comes to this negativity and cynicism and even sarcasm? Well, I want to look at it today by looking at a, a book of the Bible called 2 Corinthians. And it's written by this guy named Paul who used to, for his job, murder Christians. Like that's what he did. He was a Christian killer. And then he met Jesus, became a Christian himself, and went on to be the most influential figure in the New Testament. He actually wrote two-thirds of it. So besides Jesus, Paul's pretty much the guy. And he writes a letter that exposes what we need to understand if we're going to be people that out of the overflow of who we are, we are positive, we are lifting up others, and we are encouraging others. So let's look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Paul writes, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Isn't that a good way to put life when you're negative? How many of you can understand those moments when you've got a battle on the outside and fear on the inside? This is the breeding ground of the negative voice we have. The breeding ground of that negative voice that brings you down or makes you feel like you're second-guessing yourself isn't just that there's a battle on the outside. It's that there's something on the outside going on and you're afraid about your ability to overcome. It's not just the battle that you're still single and you don't know why and you're unhappy about it. It's that in the midst of wanting to not be single, you also start to wonder, is there something wrong with me? Like, how come I can't find someone? What's going on in this? Do I not fit here? So you have a battle on the outside and a fear on the inside. It's those moments when you get that unexpected medical bill, and there's the battle of trying to figure out how you're going to pay for it while simultaneously wondering, am I ever going to get out from under these creditors? Am I ever going to be out from under this debt? Like, I'm terrified of this. Or if you're like me and my wife, it took us a long time to get pregnant. There is that battle of... I want to have a baby, and God, I feel like you gave me this desire, but it's not happening. But then it gets even worse when you start to think internally that maybe God's punishing you for something, or maybe God doesn't want this for you, or there's something wrong with you, and you start to spiral. It's not just that you have the battle on the outside, but you have fear on the inside. And Paul highlights this. Paul says, yo, I, I have battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But the passage doesn't end here, and this is why it's so good. Because the next verse says, but God. Now i got to pause real quick. This is one of the best buts in the Bible. This is a great but. I love this but. This is one of the best buts in the Bible because anytime you see but God in Scripture, you know some good news is about to come. And what Paul says is that despite having battles on the outside and fear on the inside, but God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. He says his presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. Paul says he was discouraged, but God is an encouraging God who wants to encourage you, and he sent Titus to do it. So pause real quick. If you're here, and you don't want anything to do with the worship music, you don't want to sing, you don't want to open your mouth, you're kind of just sitting there like, all right, can't wait for this to be over. Listen, no matter how burned out or worn out or discouraged you are, God wants to encourage you today. He does not leave you brokenhearted. He does not leave you discouraged, and he's not pleased with that. He wants to encourage you today, but look at the scriptures. God uses people to do it. 
See, God encouraged Paul, but he used Titus to do it. And this is so important for us today. This is why we have to do something with this information. See, the word encouragement that Paul uses, the translators write encouragement because that's the best word we have for it. But when you look at the Greek and what Paul actually wrote, he used a word that is a combination of two phrases. One means to draw out courage within someone while also comforting them. So the word that he uses in the Greek actually means two things in one. It means to draw courage out from you and at the same time comfort you. And I think it's so brilliant that he uses that word because Paul is talking about battles on the outside and fears on the inside. And then he uses a word that says, I'm going to draw courage out from you so you can face the battle and I'm also going to comfort you in the midst of your fear. See, that word that God supernaturally uses Paul to write is telling you today that no matter what battle you face or what fear you are experiencing, God wants to draw courage out from you today. And he wants to comfort you in the midst of your fear. But again, he's going to use people to do that. And that is messy. Some of you who don't want to be around people that much, or maybe you're an introvert, maybe you just don't like words of affirmation, you're like, can't God just download happiness and make me happy? He could. But there's no participation in that. And God, the narrative of God, is using people to advance his purposes. So God wants to encourage you, but he's going to use people to do it. God wants to encourage uh, other people and he's going to use you to do it. And if you're like me and one of your love languages is words of affirmation, you're like, ooh, I love encouragement. It makes me feel all good inside. Like, but my wife isn't like that. She's like, just do the dishes and we're fine. And I'm like, dang it, okay. So, you know, I'm learning. I'm getting there. But God wants to encourage us. That's what the scripture says. But he's going to use people to do it. And so if we're going to be people like this series, we're going to, out of the overflow of who we are, we're going to change the world around us, You know, we talked a lot about the negative voice we've had so far, but what do you do to become a catalyst of encouragement? How do you become someone who draws out courage within someone and comforts them at the same time? So I just want to look at three practical things that you as an individual and we as a community can do so that we upend this narrative of everything being negative, everything being terrible, and constantly fueling the internal voice that we have of negativity. So first thing, application number one, I guess, is encourage others daily. I know some of you are like, really, this is it? John brought some guest preacher and he's going to tell us to encourage each other like that's what we're talking about? Listen, stay with me. Because um, the fact that it's practical doesn't mean it's not powerful. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it lacks spiritual power. And what God is calling us to do is to encourage others daily. Because you know this, I know this, the negative voices in your head do not take a day off. Like, it's not like suddenly they're like on a Sunday, hey, John, um, you know all that insecurity you have about yourself? I'm going to let that go today just because it's Sunday. That doesn't happen. But we need to encourage others every single day because the negativity in our life doesn't take a day off. There's actually a famous Snapchat that was really popular about a year ago that really captures what I'm talking about. So check this out. Who made this burger, man? I know y'all hear me. Hey, who made the burger? Jason and Mike back there. Jason, you killing it, man. I love that video because the moment he says, Who made this burger? Everyone's like, Oh no, like something happened. You think something's in the food, something's about to go down, like there's about to be a fight. But then he takes the situation that you and all think we know the ending to. And he makes it this refreshing moment where he actually encourages someone. He says, like, Jason, you're killing it, dog. And I love this. 
And I think this, illustrate, this illustrates for us the power of encouraging someone, even if you just to encourage someone on a daily basis. And here's what's true. You have no idea what God might set into motion from a single act of encouragement. I mean, this guy just did it, but he, I mean, he had no idea it was going to be used to encourage people about how to actually encourage the way God wants them to. You never know what God's going to do with a single act of encouragement. And the reason that we need to be motivated to encourage others on a daily basis is because, yes, sometimes you can see the battle on the outside that someone's going through, but you almost never can see the fear on the inside. And so our job is to choose to encourage people on a daily basis because even when you don't know what's going on in the inside, you're choosing to provide positive ammunition for them to overcome whatever insecurity they're facing. Like, I'm projecting a little bit, but maybe this video of the guy at Shake Shack, maybe the guy who made the burger, Jason, Maybe he just thought it was funny and he kept going throughout his day. Or maybe he actually is living paycheck to paycheck and he was terrified about some stuff later going on that day and that little bit gave him a reprieve for a moment and helped him realize like he has value, that he's doing something right. Or maybe he's mad at himself for the cumulative weight of all the decisions he's made that led to the point where maybe he's an older guy, he's working at a burger joint, he doesn't want to be working at a burger joint, and he hates himself for it, but in this moment, someone encourages him, it actually makes a difference, helps lift him up for a couple hours. Like, you can never know what's going on behind the scenes, which is why I think we need to be committed to encouraging others daily. We don't know what's happening behind the scenes, and when we encourage other people daily, we're choosing to never overlook the big things that God might do with a little bit of encouragement. Look at how another author in the Bible says it. He says this, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, aka do it every day. That's what he's saying. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, I think we're called to make encouragement a daily habit because it keeps us from becoming hard-hearted. And I think encouraging others is as much about lifting someone else up as much as it is keeping us having a soft heart. Like when you choose to encourage others, you put the focus on somebody else. You express gratitude towards someone else. You say, hey, you're doing a good job. It takes away the ability for you to stay focused on yourself because you're constantly thinking of other people. So I know it's kind of uh, simple to just say, encourage people today. Like that's a little bit too basic. So I wanted to give you a more sticky application to hold on to. Uh, when it comes to encouraging others in the context of our conversation, here's what I want you to do. If you think it, say it. If you think it, say it. The guy from the burger joint did that. He ate a burger and was like, man, this is a good burger. I'm going to go tell somebody about it. No, he did it a little bit more dramatically than some of you would be comfortable with. But when we choose every day to encourage other people, a great way to sort of filter our thought patterns is if I think it, say it. And here's why. Because according to scripture, if you think something positive about someone and you withhold that, there's a chance that you are withholding a spiritual blessing that God wants to use you to provide to somebody else. To think that you could think about someone, something well, something wonderful about who they're becoming or what they're doing or just how you miss them or the value that they bring in your life, and then you sit on that, you are withholding a blessing that God wants to use you to deliver in someone else's life. So we got to choose to encourage others daily. And if you think it, say it. And I only mean that in the context of this convo. Don't get into a fight with your spouse and be like, well, John said, if you think it, say it. Don't, don't blame that on me. That's not on me. But when it comes to encouraging others, if you think of something positive about someone, just say it. Encourage others daily because you have no idea what God might set into motion from that single act of encouragement. So that's application number one. Application number two is to encourage others spiritually. At another time, uh, this guy Paul, the guy who we were reading earlier, he wrote another letter to a church in Rome. And here's what he says. This is important. Paul writes, One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come to you at last and see you. 
For I long to visit you so I can bring you some a spiritual gift that will help you grow strong into the Lord. When we get there, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And I want to connect the dots here. Paul says, I want to bring you a spiritual gift. And then in verse 12, he highlights what that gift is. It's encouragement. Paul indicates that it is a spiritual gift to encourage somebody else. And a foundational teaching in all of his letters is that encouragement is spiritual. This is not about helping someone just have a better day or lightening their mood for an hour, but that there's something inherently spiritual about pausing in your own life to exalt or affirm somebody else and what they're doing or who they're becoming. And as we seek to encourage others daily, we need to take a step to not just say nice things, but to encourage people spiritually. And here's what I mean. This is my opinion. I, I think this works. Encouraging someone spiritually means encouraging someone specifically. When you encourage someone spiritually, it means helping them connect the dots between what they're doing and who they are with the God who made them and loved them and died for them. When you encourage someone spiritually, it means even if they don't see it in themselves, your words are affirming something specific about who they are and how God made them. And I'm not saying be that weirdo that connects everything and makes everything spiritual. Like sometimes life just happens. Don't be that guy or girl that makes everything spiritual then like person like never wants to come to collective anymore because they can't even have a conversation with you without talking about how like the burger is an illustration of God's love for us. Like don't be that guy. I mean you could make that work but all right, anyway, next step. But what I am saying is uh, don't just tell someone, hey, good job on that proposal. Be specific in your encouragement. Don't just say, oh, hey, you did a good job. Highlight the God-designed intentionality and focus that it took for them to execute at a high level and tell them that it inspires you to pursue excellence in all that you do. That's a big difference. If you're in a romantic relationship, don't just tell your wife or your girlfriend, like, hey, you look nice today. Be specific. Tell them what you like about what they're wearing. Tell them about the unique ways that God made them that really uh, makes you fall in love with them more. Talk about how you love the way they brush the hair out of their face and how even though you've been together for six years, you'd still pick them. Women, can I get an amen? Fellas, be specific. Listen, there's a difference between saying like Dylan, the guy on our keys, like I've been friends with him for a couple years now. And there's a difference between saying, hey Dylan, thanks for serving today. That's fine. But I think what's more spiritual is to say, hey, Dylan, I love how consistent and prepared you are every time you serve at Collective, and I just want you to know that when you do that, it actually makes me feel like I need to up my discipline in my life so I can be a better representation of who God is. Those are very different things. And the reason is, vague encouragement lacks value. Vague encouragement lacks value. So when we encourage others spiritually, we got to be specific. And here's one last thing. For some of us, this is going to be huge. Uh, at Mosaic, we're a church for people who don't go to church. And at Collective, I know we're a church for the rest of us. Which means there's a good portion of people in our community who love coming here, but their spouses want nothing to do with it. And I think encouraging others spiritually is a key that could unlock spiritual growth in the life of the person that you love the most, but who wants nothing to do with God right now. Because I know it's difficult when you see them doing things that maybe you don't want them to do or they're not interested in church or whatever, but I think encouraging others spiritually is a way that you could actually step up the spiritual nature of your relationship because you're just going to affirm and encourage them whenever they do anything positive. If you've got a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or boyfriend who wants nothing to do with Jesus, but they are willing to pray for dinner once, affirm the heck out of that. Man, ooh, I like it when you pray. You know, like do something to make them know that it is a really big deal to you. When they choose to show grace instead of showing anger to your child or when they choose to inconvenience themselves and do what Jesus calls them to do, even if they don't know it, affirm them, encourage them specifically and spiritually. Call them to who you know they can be, not what they're not. And so if you're in a relationship like that, you have such an opportunity to encourage them daily 
and spiritually and specifically. So here's the homework, if you choose to accept it. I, I want to pitch to you a seven-day encouragement experiment. Like, would you be willing every day to encourage someone and encourage someone spiritually by being specific in that encouragement? I just wonder how that's not just going to change the lives of the people you interact with, but how it's going to change you in the process. But if we're going to be operating out of the overflow of the good things that God is doing in our lives, we've got to be people who are encouraging others. And so the third application today, you can do the first two for the experiment, but this third point is important because uh, if, you don't, if you don't do number three, you can't really live out points number one and two. So the third application today is encourage yourself in the Lord. So you can't pour from a glass that's empty. You can't be constantly pouring out encouragement for other people when you yourself are operating at a deficit. And that's why we need to be people who learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord. But the difficulty is we don't know how to do this. Like, this is weird. And the times that we've seen it done, we're like, oh, I don't know about that. There's actually a story of this. One of the most famous guys in scriptures is a guy named David. It's the same David from David and Goliath and becomes king of Israel. But before that happens, he's getting hunted by the previous king. And so he's got these soldiers who protect him, but then some things go down where like the soldiers' kids, their lives are at risk, so everybody's mad at David. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, David is greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. And then watch this. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So David's worried about getting stoned, and I don't mean like recreationally, because I know it's Frederick, I have to clarify. But he's terrified of getting stoned from all these guys who are soldiers. But then it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. And it doesn't say that God's spirit came upon him or that he was filled with God's presence. And that happens to him in other parts of his life. So if that was what was happening here, we'd know it. But that's not what was said. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord, which means David's just like you and me. He's discouraged. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. There's not this overwhelming presence of God telling him what to do. And so what he does is he lives out point number three. He strengthens himself in the Lord. See, for many of us, when we find ourselves in a really bad spot, we start praying for a miracle. But I think what we ought to be doing instead is reminding ourselves of who God is and what he says about us. So often we're in a bad place. We're praying for a miracle instead of taking time to remind ourselves of who God is and what he says for us. I think if David was here right now, he would shake me in those moments when my anxiety is kicking in and he'd say, hey, stop telling God about your problems and start telling your problems about your God. Stop telling God about all of your problems and start telling those problems about who God is and what he says about you. See, I want to let you in on a little secret that a lot of pastors and preachers don't want to say. So we can lean in here. Michael said this is okay. I mean, I didn't talk to him about it, but he said it's fine. All right. Most, mo any pastor who's any good, any preacher who's worth anything is not saying anything new. The good pastors and good preachers aren't speaking some new, like, decoded, revolutionary takeaway from Scripture. They're just telling you what God already said about you. That's the job of a pastor to point you back to the truth and the love and the grace and the hope that God has already said is available to you. And yes, Mike's a great pastor. I love him. He, follow his example as he follows Jesus. He's a great communicator. But each of us must learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and not be dependent on an individual. Because David learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord and it got him through this difficult season. And I want us to be a community that builds others up, but we can't do that if we don't learn how to build ourselves up. And this is hard though. Like I said, like, what does this look like? Like, the Bible is 
a little descriptive on it, but it's not pre- prescriptive. It doesn't really tell you like exactly how to use strengthen yourself in the Lord. So what I want to do is I just want to look over two things that I've been trying uh, in the last month or two to be someone who can strengthen myself in the Lord. And this message is very much for me. It's not from me, so don't think I'm the expert. Like, I don't have it all figured out. But I think, I just wonder if me letting you into the ways that I'm experimenting with strengthening myself in the Lord, you actually might get something from God that sparks how to do it for yourself. So again, this is not me saying I have it figured out. It's a hope that as we navigate this journey together called life, we learn how to encourage others, encourage others spiritually, and ultimately encourage ourselves in the Lord. So the first thing I started doing, this is a couple months back, um, I have a five-year journal. I, I used to journal all the time, like for a long time. I put on worship music, I get my feelings, I'd write stuff, it was all good. But then I had a kid. And then I had another one, 17 months later. And journaling just stopped completely. And I used to beat myself up about not doing that. So I got this five-year journal where you're only allowed five lines per day. It takes me like 35, 40 seconds to write it out. And then every day it says like September 1st or September 2nd. And the goal is that you'll be able to look that day for five years and see what you asked for, what you're going through, what you're praying about. And the benefit of this, the system that I made with this journal, is that I'm going to let the prayers I have today be answered by the journal entries I'll see tomorrow. Like I'm acting in faith that God is going to get me through it. I know I'm going to get to see it because all in one place I'll have five years of his faithfulness to me. And again, like, there are times when God comes through, and it's not what I wanted, but he does come through for me. So that's one thing I've been doing, this five-year journal. And the second thing, uh, this is weird to me, so it might, it might feel weird to you. But um, I read a lot, and I started to notice that all these people that I read about, like these leaders and people who are way more successful and way more wise and, you know, leading great churches and stuff like that, um, they started doing this thing that I thought was kind of whack called personal declarations, where they spend time talking to themselves about who God says they are and, and who they are and what they want to be about. And I was like, yeah, that's stupid. I'm not going to do that. I'm uncomfortable with that. And then I had a moment where I realized, wait a second, who's the one buying the book here? I'm buying their book. They're not buying my book. So I should probably listen to what they have to say. So I decided to humble myself and just try this thing that was really uncomfortable for me. But I started writing out personal declarations about who God says I am, what's true about me, because of Christ and who I want to be. And I started doing this every day because the older I get, I realize there is no amount of success that silences the negative voice in my life. Like there's no platform, there's no influence that could possibly take away the negative voice and insecurity that I have. So I realized if I have that battle every day and the fear every day, then I need to do something every day that's going to help with that. So I'm going to share with you, um, in my insecurity, my personal declarations that I say every day. And they're not all going to be applicable for you. Um, I stole a bunch of these and then modified them to make them my own. But again, I share this because I just wonder if God wants to tap into something that you haven't considered yet. A way to strengthen yourself in the Lord and to remind yourself of who you already are. Because maybe you do need to pray for that miracle. But the thing that's going to create the breeding ground for God to move is you remembering how good he is to you. And what he's done for you and what he's gotten you through in the past. So this is what I do to strengthen myself in the Lord. I wake up, I do a morning yoga routine, and I'm not, I can't touch my toes. I just stretch, okay? Don't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I can't, don't even ask me. It's terrible. Anyway, but I wake up, I, I do a stretching routine, and then I get into a place where I can, like, talk out loud, and I say this. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I'm going to be about what Jesus is about. I love my wife. I laid down my life to serve her. As far as it depends on me, my children will love God and serve him with their whole hearts. 
I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for God's kingdom than they can imagine. I love people. I believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day because of Christ. My family is closer, my body is stronger, my faith is deeper, and my leadership is sharper. I am empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. I leverage every gift to become all things to all people so that I might save someone with the gospel of Jesus. I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I develop leaders. It's not something I do. It's who I am. My words and my thoughts and my imagination are under the power of Christ, and I take all things captive, including my thoughts, and make them obedient to Jesus. I wake up with purpose and direction and meaning every day. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me and I bring my best and then some knowing that it is after I bring my best that God is glorified. And then I end on this. I have to repeat it a couple times to believe it. I say the world will be different and better because I serve Jesus today. The world will be different and better because I serve Jesus today. And listen, I know that a criticism of Christianity is that everybody pretends to be happy. It's all kind of a sod. It's all fake. No one's really authentic. But these daily declarations are not about me being happy. It's about me having hope. Sometimes I do these declarations and they don't change my mood. But they remind me of what's true. That I was bought at a price. That God loved me so much that he died for me and made a way for me to have a relationship with him. And I think learning to encourage yourself in the Lord isn't about changing your mood or suddenly becoming happy. It's about remembering that because of Christ, you have hope. See, Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and he ministered to the broken and the hurting and he died on the cross and he took the cumulative weight of all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our brokenness and he buried it in the ground and conquered death so all of us could have life in him. And the reason Jesus did that is not so that bad people would become good or that sad people would become happy, but so that dead people would become alive again. And so the reason that we do these declarations, the reasons you need to encourage yourself in the Lord is to remind yourself that God loved you so much that he died for you and that you have hope in all things because Christ's story did not end in the grave. He's the only religious figure in human history that claimed to be the way, like a bunch of others, and then he came back to life to prove it, so we trust him. And the story of Jesus didn't end in death, it ended in life. And so there's been times in my life where I'm like, it feels like God is heartless. It feels like he's not helping but the cross and the resurrection reminds me that of all the things God could be, he's not heartless to me because he died for me. And I need these re reminders. And see, a lot of the times we meet encouraging people and we assume that they're just happy all the time. But what, I, what I'd argue is that scripture shows that if you want to encourage people, you just have to be a hopeful person. You could be down, you could be bitter, you could be scared, but the key ingredient to encouragement is hope. And so that's why encouraging yourself in the Lord is so important. If you want to step out and encourage someone daily, if you want to encourage someone spiritually, I would argue you could do it for a while, but you're going to burn out unless you learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. And I believe that you guys have a call. Like Collective has an opportunity to shift the paradigm, to turn things upside down, and be people who speak positivity and speak encouragement, especially when you don't feel it. Because the source of your mood is not how you feel. It's your faith. It's what Jesus did for you. So I want to encourage you to be that community that I know that Michael's leading you guys through. And that for seven days that you would try this experiment. Try to encourage someone every single day. Encourage someone spiritually by being specific. And then try something 
that reminds you of who you are and what God did for you. Let's pray. God, I pray that um, anything in this conversation that uh, isn't helpful, that you would make it easily forgotten for all the people here. Um, God, the words of Scripture and what's true about what you call us to encouragement, God, I pray that they would take root in us. And and especially for those of us that struggle to be positive or to have hope, uh, that even in this next moment uh, of music and communion, that you would um, give us a glimpse of, of what might need to happen to help us. God, we know we can't be these catalysts of encouragement without you. So we ask for help. Give us the strength, give us the clarity, and give us the courage to step into those spaces and maybe be that encouraging voice when there is none. And again, God, we do this uh, because we want to trust you, we want to increase our faith in you, but we want to increase the faith in the lives of those who don't yet know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.